Are you one of the three quarters of people struggling with a fear or anxiety around public speaking? Do you wish you could communicate more effectively, develop more meaningful relationships, grow your business and access greater opportunities? Welcome to Simon Speaks, a public speaking podcast with me, your host, Simon Day. In this series, I'll draw on my own experience from terrified teenager to UK award-winning speaker and communications coach, as well as speaking to a number of special guests, all with one object in mind, to help you communicate more effectively. Ready to grow? Let's get started. Hello everybody and the warmest of welcomes to Simon Speaks, a public speaking podcast with me, your host, Simon Day. Gives me great pleasure to welcome you to this episode. I'm about to share with you an interview that I had recently with Tom English. Tom is a very good friend of mine. I've known him on the speaking circuit for quite a few years now, and he's always an inspiration to listen to. He was in preparation for his TEDx talk, and he's now delivered that TEDx talk. Have a look in the show notes to the link uh, for that video, and you will not be in any way disappointed. It's a profound message and a timeless one. And I really enjoyed working with him and talking to him about it and watching his preparations and watching it being recorded. It was such an amazing experience to be part of. So I'm grateful that he included me as part of that journey. Go and watch the video and listen to the the TEDx talk. But also you here got an amazing interview where he goes and, and we do a bit of a deep dive into his ideas about escaping the hedonism trap, stewardship, values and how to get sustainable success in your own life by focusing on living a life of purpose, meaning and fulfilment. Please enjoy this interview coming up and I hope it means as much to you as it has in my life since I listened to the principles that Tom shared. What I'm excited about today is actually we get to dig into a little bit of your, a little bit of your content, but a little bit of what guides your work on leadership mentoring. And we've known each other on the speaking circuit for a few years now. And I've heard you speak a few times more recently about the hedonism trap. Yes. Now, a lot of people will not be familiar with the word hedonism. And in fact, I wasn't, I have to admit, until you started speaking about it and you defined it and I looked it up a bit further. Mm. But I I think once we understand the word, I think a lot of us will identify it Mm -hmm. quite frighteningly in our own lives. A bit of background, what, what is hedonism for people who don't know it and how did you first identify that you were struggling with it? Yeah, it's, it's interesting because hedonism is quite a natural course of action to follow really. It's essentially the pursuit of pleasure and the pursuit of pleasure as an end in itself. So it's where you are pursuing pleasure just to entertain yourself, to feel good, and that's what you focused on and the hedonism trap is really about getting lost in that so you get distracted from other things you get distracted from who you are what your essence is internally what your higher purpose is what your values are and you become guided instead by what's going to give you the most pleasure now i was reading an article this week just on the back of that uh, about obviously what's happened during during the virus Mm-hmm. And I was reading that, that things like alcohol consumption and tobacco consumption and gambling subscriptions and pornography subscriptions in this country, but around the world as well, are skyrocketing. Yeah. So would, would you attribute that then to people being caught in this kind of trap and perhaps not knowing it or yeah. that they've got nothing else to do? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting question. It's one that I will handle delicately because there are various different factors that play into this, of course, and that there are various different psychological factors at play as well mm-hmm. because a lot of the things that you mentioned are very addictive. They're highly addictive and they, they can become addictions in, in and of themselves, which, which is a particular problem in its own right. Mm-hmm. But from a values point of view, certainly when people are looking for relief it can be easy to reach for these things, these go-to things like gambling, like pornography, drugs. And these things give an instant hit. So in the short term, they give an instant buzz. But what tends to happen, the, the problem is, is that your brain gets used to them. And so you need more of it to, in order to, to, to feel the effect. 
And sometimes, especially with, with drug and alcohol addictions, people lose the ability to, to even feel that sensation because it's just the norm for them. It, it entirely rewires their brains. Now, what, what I'm particularly focused on is, is hedonism as a, a, a choice, a lifestyle choice about values. Because what really happens is for people to get into addiction a lot of times, now, and there are various reasons for this, so I want to be careful how I deal with this, but one of the reasons that people get into addictions is because they are seeking for some sort of pleasure and they are seeking for some sort of relief. And they then indulge in these these instant hits, these quick wins, which might be great for the short term. And these people who indulge in them might feel they might feel great in that particular moment. But what happens when the moment's gone? You you've got a you're on a down. You're you're coming down from that that high, that very false high, that yeah. high that's been created by this external factor which is manipulating your neurology, essentially. Yeah. And so it's it's really it's really important to be very conscious about what our values are. And I think you're absolutely spot on in relation to the lockdown situation that many of us are in across the world right now. Certainly in the UK we're in that situation and we will be for the, certainly the immediate future. Yeah. And it's it, it places people in danger because I think it was Carl Jung who who wrote something to the effect that that people will do almost anything to avoid coming face-to-face in contact with, with their own souls. Mm-hmm. Because that's, that's not an easy thing to do for anybody. You don't have to be a murderer or have done anything heinously wrong to want to avoid coming face-to-face with your own soul. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's a thing of gravity and it, they can be choppy, stormy waters. So in order to avoid that, sometimes people try to, to mask that sensation and that reckoning and they surround themselves with distractions and the pursuit of pleasure itself. Mm-hmm. That's so interesting. And and I have to be honest, I, I did look up something in preparation for this because you reminded me and actually have there with so much of what you said of, of a quote. And uh, it, it's it, it's a decent quote, but I, I want to read it to you. Um, it's by an American religious leader that you that we're both familiar with. It's D. Todd Christopherson. Um, is an apostle uh, of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. But he quoted something really interesting. It's right mm. along these lines. It's back in October 2010, he gave an address called Reflections on a Consecrated Life. So mm. his, his was the choice to lead a devoted life rather than the pursuit of, of hedonism, as you've been talking mm-hmm. about so, so profoundly. And he was quoting a, a film uh, called Man's Search for Happiness. And, and this is a little bit of the narration of the film, and he quotes this as part of his address. And it's so close to what we're talking about. I think it's really worth mentioning. So he says this. Life offers you two precious gifts. One is time. The other, the freedom of choice. The freedom to buy with your time what you will. You are free to exchange your allotment of time for thrills. You may trade it for base desires. You may invest it in greed. Yours is the freedom to choose. But these are no bargains for in them you find no lasting satisfaction. Every day, every hour, every minute of your span of mortal years must sometime be accounted for. And it is in this life that you walk by faith and prove yourself to choose good over evil, right over wrong, enduring happiness over mere amusement. And your eternal reward will be according to your choosing. We are that we might have joy, a joy that includes a fullness of life, a life dedicated to service, to love and harmony in the home, and the fruits of an honest toil. Only in these will you find true happiness, the happiness which doesn't fade with the lights and the music and the crowds. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's profound, isn't it? And and it goes right along with what we're talking about, this choice between the pursuit of mere amusement and and a life of meaning and a life of of purpose. So I, I want to dig into that a little bit further if I can, because I know that you talk about in your keynotes, you were once in this hedonism trap. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and I think I think a lot of us are at, at some point in our lives. Some of us might not be there yet. Some of us might be there now. Mm-hmm. How did you get out of it? What did you do? And what advice would you give that's struggling with realizing now, perhaps more than ever, I'm mm-hmm. stuck in this. What, where do I go? What do I do now? Yeah, it's a very good question. So you mentioned in the quote that you just read out there about the the lights and the music and 
the the sensation dying with those things. Mm-hmm. It's very much like that with hedonism because hedonism is essentially about the here and now. It's about living for the moment and not in a not in a way that that is building towards something it's it's not to be mistaken with presence for example where you are present in the moment and giving your full commitment it's Mm -hmm. more about the sensory pleasure that you get from the experience in the moment rather than making a, a contribution for myself i was i was in a situation where i had been to madagascar and i was a missionary there for two years which meant that I did that on a voluntary basis and I didn't get paid for doing it. And it was hard work. I was working really hard. Everybody in that mission was a hard worker and I had a lot of different responsibilities while I was there as well to mentor and train other missionaries, to um, lead in different capacities. And, and I was trusted to do so and given the responsibility to, to do that and, and I took that on wholeheartedly and thoroughly enjoyed the experience had many great memories that I developed from that and I was very pleased with the the contribution of service that I made but inevitably those things come to an end so I came home and coming home was probably gosh it was it was probably a bigger culture shock than going out there in the first place in some respects mm, I can imagine because I'd gone from being, I'd fully acclimatized to a third world country to going back into the Western world where there was a lot of, a lot of waste. We are quite wasteful in the West. I was, I was used to seeing kids playing on the street with toys that they'd made out of discarded bits of plastic and rubber bands. And they were making little carousels with these things that were spinning around, it was really incredible what they were able to create from people's junk that had been thrown away. And, and, and in the West, I came back and I saw, well, we literally throw money away because we buy, we buy stuff that we don't actually need or use or have any purpose for. So that was a bit of a, that was a bit of a, I would say that was, that was quite a, a shock in itself, but I didn't particularly, certainly not to start with, I, I didn't have any desire to, get back into a materialistic way of living. But I think what happened really was just the passage of time. The the passage of time multiplied by a lack of focus. And that led me to a position where I was normalized into a culture of pleasure seeking. And that isn't to say that I did anything heinously wrong. Mm. I certainly didn't break the law at all. And I wouldn't say I was a bad person per se, but I'd become unfocused. I'd become detached from my purpose, my, my essence, my highest values, the contribution that I could give. Mm. And I instead was seeking after the things that could give me pleasure. And in, and in some respects, I was, I was living for the weekend and for the free time to have fun. And so it was a very, so, so to get to your point about how I got out of the hedonism trap, I first had to know that I was there because that degree of self-awareness doesn't come easily. And it's a very, it's a very painful experience. So because you go, you're on this up and up and up and you keep having to top yourself up with new experiences because that's what you're used to. And when you become used to that, it becomes a habit. So you, you're literally changing your, your neurology because you are so used to these sensory pleasures and sensory experiences, whatever they are, it doesn't, again, it doesn't have to be anything particularly heinous, but because you've got up, down, and when you get down, you get back up again. And I found myself in a situation one Saturday night when there was nothing going on. There was nothing happening. It was just, it was a weird, it was a weird circumstance. It was really strange because I was very good at distracting myself. I was very good at, avoiding being in that position where I would have to come, you know, face to face with my own soul. And I become quite adept at that without explicitly acknowledging to myself that that's what I was doing. This was a very subconscious thing that I was doing. And I was, I was, but I was trapped in this situation, so to speak. And it was back in the day when mobile phones weren't actually that good. 
just just before the the first iPhone came out, and I was just sat on my bed playing this silly game on my iPhone, on my not my iPhone, my my mobile phone, pre-iPhone, should I say? And it hit me like a ton of bricks. I, I, it was a spiritual thing more than anything, but it hit me like a ton of bricks that there was an emptiness and a hollowness inside me that I'd allowed to enter into myself, and it had displaced part of who I truly was and it was horrendous I'll I'll never ever forget that feeling that feeling of emptiness and that's where I get to talking about nihilism because Mm. I was I'd been living hedonistically so I'd been pursuing pleasure as an end in itself but that led to this emptiness and nihilism is I mean nihil the, the origin of the word from an etymological point of view comes from the word nihil, which means nothing. Mm. And nihilism is about purposelessness. It's about meaninglessness. It's about not having any moral code to live by. It's almost a rejection of morality. And I wouldn't say I was at that point per se, but I certainly felt the emptiness and the nothingness of nihilism. And that was my trajectory. That was the path that I was going on. Unless I did something at that time to arrest that decline, then I was going to end up in a really, really bad way. And that became very clear to me that night. So to get to your question in terms of how I got out of it, I was a little bit stuck because as with a trap, a trap, a trap is there to, to keep you stuck. And so I thought, I, I know that I need to get out of this, but I need help to remind me how to get out of this and a lot of that had to do with remembering who i was and so to cut a long story short that occurred through a mentor a mentor who was able to look at me as a whole look at me very holistically and help me and empower me he didn't literally just drag me out and do it for me i had to do the work but he empowered me to escape that trap Mm-hmm. I think I think that's a really interesting point. Is that that you've ascribed the value to a mentor, but you've also detailed how it's important that you have that desire to get out first. Yeah, yeah, you, know, you, absolutely. you can't have somebody dragging you out if it's somewhere you don't want to be in the first place. It's a conscious choice to leave that lifestyle behind yeah. and pursue something more meaningful. As as you've been talking about your story, I mean, I have thought about people's personal life, and we have talked a bit about that with the, the lockdown situation. How hedonism and, and losing sense of values can affect us personally mm-hmm. but but i'm thinking now also professionally and and if we've got people pursuing um, a, a life devoid of value and, and hedonistic choices as an employee of a company for example that might be somebody who trades uh, their time for for the base desire of the weekend so that they give the bare minimum at work all week in hope that they're going to enjoy the weekend and, and that repeats every week but if you're a leader, and I know you do leadership mentoring, and I know you talk a lot about values with leaders, if you're a leader of an organization and you've lost touch of your values and you're living hedonistically as a, as a leader within an organization, not only is that going to infect your employees, but it's going to infect the way you do business with people. Yeah. You know, if, you're, if you're all about the profit and driving revenue and how can I take advantage of this situation, how can I cut this competitor in this way, that's not about honest service anymore. That's now about hedonistic choices that govern how we do business one with another and how community and society operates. I mean, that's yeah. frightening. Yeah, it's it's fundamental. It's it's absolutely fundamental. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting as well because it, it speaks also to culture and in terms of what culture that organization is gonna have. Because mm-hmm. because culture is culture is essentially how people do things. It's how we do things around here. In, in the simplest definition, yeah. keeping it really, really simple. And I think that, that leaders who have been seduced by hedonism and by success, because success can be incredibly su- seductive when, when people hit, hit heights and they, they make achievements, particularly material achievements where they, they hit big markers on a financial basis, yeah. on a monetary basis. And, they, they have all the trappings and all the trimmings of, of that success from a material point of view and they look the part and they sound the part and everything else. 
that really is quite a uh, well it's quite seductive and it can lead to people wanting to stay in that place forgetting how they got to that place in the first place mm. because when i speak to people i speak to people a lot about sustainable success when when people talk to me as um, prospective mentees and mentees i'm not talking to them about quick wins i'm not talking to them about making a quick buck mm. i'm talking to them about sustainability sustainable success and it's very much holistic so it's looking like you say you you liken the pitfalls of hedonism and hedonistic living to business as a whole but if you think about the individual within the individual there are several different facets there are several different stewardships if you like that people have to attend to and that is the self body mind heart and spirit the relationships that they have and also the contribution that they make as well so if we lose track of what it takes to succeed and what underpins our success which is essentially our contribution then we're asleep at the wheel we're we're asleep on the job and it's only a matter of time before that success that we've earned will disappear it, it simply it won't last because somebody else will come along to serve our customers better than we are mm-hmm. and that's why in a way it's it's never ending and i think this is what simon sinek talks about in his most recent book the you know the inf- this idea of an infinite game mm. because there is there is no end to it and that doesn't have to be looked at like a hamster wheel for example mm. a monotonous thing a, a drudgery or slavery but it is what it is if you want to be sustainably successful then your values have to be right your behavior has to be aligned with those values and they have to be forming a solid foundation upon mm. which you can stand, which you can stand because if they don't form a solid foundation solid basis then the cracks will appear with with weathering if you look at nature look at, at freeze thaw weathering if if you have a rock for example and you know rain occurs and water gets into the rock then it freezes and then it creates a crack and it can smash open the rock it's it's like that it's like a wedge so it's really important that we are judicious about which values we are basing our conduct on and how we adhere to those values on a on a consistent basis mm. that's so interesting and and i'm sure there are people listening to this and, and leaders probably are going to be listening to this who have perhaps found themselves in that or, or maybe are in that position where they think I've lost touch with my values, therefore my organisation and my employees have lost touch with their values. Mm-hmm. Our competitors are doing things that we're not doing. We, we feel that we're on this slope and, it, and it's a difficult thing to rescue now. Yeah, You've obviously had some leadership experience because you talked about your, your, your missionary experience earlier on and now you've had further leadership experience since then and now you're mentoring as well. Let's say you've got somebody, you've got a leader of a, a small business right, and, and they have mm-hmm. no idea where to start they've lost touch with their values i think right we, we need to start this over again and we need to get mm-hmm. get this culture right what steps would you advise that a leader takes in that situation to mm-hmm. start getting back in touch with those values and putting things right it's a very good question and i as, as part of my own experience i served on a board for about seven years and it was a great experience because we spoke a lot about what is our mission what is our core purpose why do we exist and what are our values and it's very easy to have these conversations and to then produce a sheet of paper or mm-hmm. something to go on the website and mm-hmm. then so what you know what 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 do we do with that mm-hmm. i would say certainly if you're talking to to business people especially people in in small to medium enterprises it really has to be focused on results and it has to be very straightforward and it has to be easily integrable with how they actually do things on a daily basis. It cannot be, here's here's a sheet of values that we've produced, here's something for the website and they just sit there and look pretty for people to to look at when they they go on the website. Mm. So the, the key question really comes down to service and it's about 
who you are serving is the question of who can I serve? That's, that's the fundamental question. Because as I talk to individuals about this, I talk first of all about the self, taking care of the self and applying the right values to the self and the care of the self, then to relationships, but then finally to the contribution. And the key question in relation to contribution is who can I serve? And other questions follow. So how can I serve, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But this is what really needs to be focused on if people are going to stay in touch with their key core values. It's about service. If you look at sustainability, if you look at the businesses that have consistently delivered results over a period of time, it's simply those who have served their customers the best over mm. that period of time. Mm. There are other there are other complexities in relation to competitive landscapes as well to, to take into consideration, of course. But fundamentally, if you want to keep it really straightforward and really simple, it's about who are we serving, why are we serving them, and how are we serving them? And, and, and of course, how can we serve them better? It's mm. as simple as that. It's we, we could talk about all sorts of different nooks and crannies, but it is all about care and about service. Because mm. caring for other people and serving them is the antithesis of hedonism, which is the pursuit of pleasure for myself and selfishness. Mm. It's so it's so logical and it's so straightforward, and yet so many people lose sight of it. And the number of websites you see of organisations where it says great customer service, and you think, oh, here we go again, and and you don't get the great customer, mm-hmm. and you don't and you don't go back. It's as simple as that. Mm. Yeah. So many so many people make hedonistic choices about trying to get the profit, trying to get the quick sale, but they don't get return sale because the, the yeah. service wasn't up to scratch. I'm sure you're the same. There are companies, there are places you go to eat, there are things that you, you buy and you return and keep paying money for yeah. because of the quality of the service. Yes, and, and exactly. If you're making choices driven by offering that quality of service, then you need not act hedonistically because you'll get the profit that you're looking for anyway. Yeah, so precisely. It, no, it, it just makes so much sense. It's brilliant. And so the, the, the next question I want to I lead into with that is this, this idea of values, because you're all about values and stewardship and leadership, and I'm all about communication. Mm-hmm. And, and I think this is really interesting because we're, we're both married men, and I'm sure there are lots yep. of people out here that, that have partners. And, and it's one thing to have values. It's mm-hmm. another thing to communicate those values in a way that they are received well by the people that yes. we're dealing with and, yes. and so sometimes we might have ideals and then we try to i'm not going to use the word impose those ideals but share <laughs> those ideals sure, with, sure. with somebody else and especially when it's somebody that we're close to yes so you know we're thinking about marriage but we're also thinking about you know employees and, and colleagues within an organization what do you think the biggest mistake is that a lot of leaders make in communicating those values to the people in their organization I think the biggest difficulty that people run into when they're trying to communicate values is that they talk too much and they act too little. Mm. I would say to people who, who really want to communicate values or a particular value, you've got to demonstrate that. You've got to be and encapsulate that particular thing. If, if you're really serious about it, it shouldn't be a big deal. It really shouldn't be a big deal. If it's so much of a big deal for you to do that, then you really need to start asking yourself about if you are sincere about particular value. Is this really a value? Because people learn by watching examples of things. Think about it. It's quite straightforward because if you think about how, how we learn things, and I do this all the time because I'm, I'm quite interested in words and language. And if I'm, le- if I'm reading a book and I come across a word and I think, oh, I want to check what that word means so that I've got it down or I'm learning a new word that I've come across, I want to see the application of that word in a sentence. I want to see how it actually applies. And that's how we are with learning more broadly. And that's how other people are. That's how employees are. That's how children are. That's how people who look to us as leaders and mentors are as well. They want to see how this translates into reality so it's up to us in leadership capacities to live those values otherwise frankly they will never be sufficiently communicated 
Mm, yeah, true. And and it's interesting now because obviously we are in this period where the world has shifted so drastically and so quickly, more so than I can ever remember in our lifetimes or in our generation. Mm-hmm. How do you think this is going to affect the future of, of leadership? How do you think this is going to affect the way people work and communicate and, and their value? Because I heard this mm-hmm. quote the other day that was talking about belie- beliefs are what we think are true. Mm-hmm. And values are what we think are important. And yes. it's about priorities. How do you think this, this period of time is going to affect people's values and priorities and the way we lead going forward, do you think? I think values are so fascinating at this period of time because I think we're, we're, in, a, we're in a moment of revelation where things are being revealed about what we are really all about as mm-hmm. individuals. So individual, what am I all about? What are you all about? What is anybody all about? What what do we really care about? Mm. And it's a it's a revelatory time in that respect because we might be learning this stuff about ourselves. I imagine that there are a lot of people out there who are at this moment in time struggling with the lockdown, probably in a similar situation to where I was when mm. I was in my nadir, my dark spot, when I figured out whoa, I've sleepwalked my way into this hedonism trap and now I'm feeling completely empty, like I don't want to be here, all these horrible things. And so it is affecting us. It's revealing us to ourselves and it's revealing us to other people. And it's also giving us a great opportunity to to change that, to look at where we are, look at what our values are as expressed by what we actually do, because that's what really, again, going back to behaving and living the values, that's what really defines things is is how we actually do things. If you you want to know what's important to somebody, look at what they spend their money on, look at what they spend their time on, look at what they actually do. And so this is really showing us what's really important because going back to the quote you mentioned earlier about how these hedonistic pleasures end when the lights and the music are turned off. Well, guess what? Yeah. All the lights and the music have been turned off. Yeah. You can't, you can't go out on a, on a, in most places now in the Western world, you can't legally go out on a, on a Friday night or a Saturday night. There's, there's, yeah. there's none of that. We've, we've proverbially been sent to our rooms. Mm. And so we are in a position now of great reflection, great revelation and great reflection. And, mm. This is such a great opportunity and I'm really excited about it. I I know there's a lot of doom and gloom about this and I know that there's a lot of reason to take this very seriously and really think about this, but I'm very excited about this. I'm excited about the opportunities for myself and how I can develop in this this time as well and what I can do to, to move myself forward. Because this is this is our time. I, I called it early on, I called it corona time. This is this is our corona time. You know, these evenings and weekends, if we're if we're blessed enough to still be working because we can do our jobs remotely, then that's great. But on evenings and weekends, we've still got this corona time. So how are we going to use this time to look inside ourselves and really take stock in how we live our values and what our values are? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's so interesting because I, I mean, I know you've commented on it, and I, I commented on it as well. The, the the video from Boris Johnson very recently. Yeah. Um, I'm speaking about this apolitically. I have no political interest yeah. in this in this <laughs> whatsoever. But but when he was speaking, and I I for one detected a slight difference in tone. Um, yeah, and, and I feel like he was very appreciative of, of the sacrifice of the the people that had worked with him. But but as a leader now. He's got to acknowledge how going forward the NHS, what role that plays, how people are rewarded, mm-hmm. all the, the bits that are going around about putting salaries or whatever else. Yeah. But, but as a leader in an unprecedented scenario, and, and I hate the fact that the government are getting so much flack for, for scenarios mm-hmm. they've never dealt with. You know, that there, mm-hmm. are, there are problems with administration, of course there will be, mm-hmm. but, but they're doing something that nobody's ever done. And so I, yeah. I don't understand a lot of the feedback because it's like, well, how could this be done better than it's being done? for the first time sure. <laughs> and, and 
the question I've got is about Boris Johnson as a leader, because as a mm. leader of a country, he's now said some words, and there mm. are words that have come from him having been in a life or death position. Yeah. And he's now, as, as you put it, he's been shown his own soul and he's been shown yeah. this is who I really am. This is my, my moment. This was my Corona time and it was a very serious time. Mm-hmm. And he made some, some pledges and he, and he said a few quite, quite important things. If, if you were Boris Johnson's leadership mentor mm. right now, what would you be saying to him in terms of what does he do now going forward? What does he do in, in, acting upon the values that he's outlined mm. apolitically of course yeah apolitically yeah <laughs> I, I don't um I, i'm not i'm not party political at all so so when mm. as you as you say when i when i shared the post about boris johnson's speech it was it was purely to emphasize the things that he did mention mm. and what he did mention i thought was powerful because he spoke about the two nurses who were by his bedside for 48 hours and he was very specific in saying what they did, how they were watching, they were mm-hmm. taking notes, they were caring, they were making the interventions at the right time. I think what he can do to walk the talk on that, so to speak, is to ensure that his government does exactly that over the nation as a whole in this situation, is mm-hmm. watch take note, care, make the interventions that are necessary to keep things moving. Because we're all in this crazy situation that none of us have ever been in before. Notwithstanding the fact that there have been scientists and even politicians, somebody, somebody showed me clips of George Bush and Barack Obama who both predicted that there would be some sort of flu-like pandemic that would come in the future. I think the Bush comment was from back in the early noughties, as early as that. So people have known that this has been on the cards. And of course, there's the, the Bill Gates TED Talk as well, which people have been sharing. So people have known that this sort of thing's been on the cards. But let's face it, because we've all been, everything else has been so important and we have to get everything done now, mm. nobody's actually thought about the long term. Nobody's thought about the infrastructure that's necessary to mitigate a crisis like this. So Mm. for Boris Johnson, I think it's really important from certainly the UK's point of view to show that care, that that love that was shown him in the hospital and to make sure that everybody in his cabinet is doing the same and being mindful of as much as they're like fish out of water because they've not dealt with this before. So, so is the population. The mm. population has been has been traumatized at the moment. Mm. It, it, this is this is a, a traumatic experience, and different people are handling it differently in different ways, and with different degrees of success. So, mm. that's what I would say to him: is is walk the talk. Think about those two nurses. Think about how they cared for you, and now apply that. Extrapolate that across your government for the benefit of the UK as a whole. But before any of that, take care and get well, rest up. Mm -hmm. Because another thing that I speak to people a lot about is self-care. And I've been on quite a hobby horse about self-care. It's been a recurrent theme for me over recent years because I've had some of my own health things that I've needed to take care of. Mm -hmm. And I personally believe it's part of my journey. I've had to, to go through these experiences to give me greater ability to talk to others about it. But it's absolutely critical. We have to be standing on solid foundations. And that isn't just in terms of values. It's also in terms of, again, body, mind, heart, and spirit. You know, these different mm-hmm. elements of self. So it's no good having the right values if the body's absolutely destroyed because we haven't taken care of it. Because that doesn't, that's not indicative of good values. Because if, if we have good values of stewardship, then... We look after ourselves. We care for ourselves. It's very difficult to care for and love other people if we're not effective at caring for and looking after ourselves. Mm. Mm, you can't lift anyone if you're not on high ground. Sure. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Final question then, if I can. Okay. We, we have proverbially 
being sent to our rooms, as you said, you know, if, yep. if there's a, a God or a parent out there in the universe that they've chided us and sent us to our rooms to think about our behavior. When we come out of this, I think a lot of us will have realigned ourselves to the life that we think we want to have. It'll be kind of like New Year's resolutions on steroids, if you think of it that way. Mm. We'll, we'll have these grand ideals of things that we want to live and do better. But you and I both know that when priorities start to creep their way back in and, and life gets busy again, it's very yeah. easy for all that to unravel and for us to lose sight of the values again. And before we know it, sometimes subconsciously, we've slipped back into that hedonistic cycle. Yeah. What are you going to suggest we do to safeguard against that kind of decline once this is past? For me, and this is my answer because this is, this is what I do, I have a system that I've created called Three Stewardships Framework. And it's quite simple, really, but it focuses on those three areas that mm-hmm. I mentioned, self, relationships, and contribution. Mm-hmm. And this information isn't available publicly yet because it will be when I write a book and I can put it in there and then say, there you go, world, check it out, use mm-hmm. it as you please. But essentially, just to keep it very simple so people can, can apply something and take something away from it, it's very, very useful to, to look at life in terms of responsibilities. And in terms of what responsibilities have I got to myself, what responsibilities have I got to my loved ones, the people within my four walls, spouses, partners, kids, pets, and then extrapolate that go beyond that what about the community what about the different groups you belong to in the community the neighborhood and then the wider world as well the world of work what is what are your relationships like there and then once you've you've taken care of those things then you can start to think about what your contribution is now all of these things are going to happen concurrently of course but breaking them down into those three different categories is useful because it gives you an idea of of where the gaps are. You can form an assessment of yourself. So if you're feeling burned out, then clearly there's something amiss with self. You're not looking after yourself, so something needs to change there. So it's almost like a balanced scorecard, if you like, to, to use that particular terminology, where you have a way of measuring success that is non-financial. So people need to find some sort of way of measuring themselves against, against certain values as standards. And this is essentially what I help people to do. So that they're not just whistling in the dark, so to speak. They're not just living life and doing what feels good. Because we can't, we can't just rely on our feelings alone. If, if, we're gonna, if we're going to go beyond what we feel like doing, which is essentially a hedonistic way of living because pleasure is a sensory thing. It's based on feeling, getting good feelings and yeah, craving and seeking and then doing the same again. If we're going to get beyond that, then we have to put our, our thoughts higher than our feelings. So what I would say is it's a good time for people to really take stock about their lives holistically and really determine a path forward. And I don't, I don't mean this just from a moralistic point of view. I really mean this in terms of people living a fulfilling life. I, I'm so much happier now than I ever was when I was seeking for pleasure. Mm. I have a marriage that has lasted nearly 10 years. It'll be 10 years in June. And mm. we're very happy together. And we, we, we continuously learn together we're we're like yin and yang what my wife likes i don't what she like you know vice versa we're total opposites and it's great because when it's a toss-up between two different suites she'll have one and i'll have the other and it's, it's wonderful like that but equally in terms of strengths and weaknesses my weaknesses are her strengths and vice versa and we learn from each other and we grow together and it, it's great it, it really is and, and that's what this sustainability that I'm talking about is, and I would never have believed that beforehand. Beforehand, when I was a university student, it seemed like, well, yeah, you just, just go with the flow, do what feels good and have a good time kind of thing. 
But the problem is, is where it leads to. It leads to a Lost Boys on Pinocchio. Mm. I, think, I think they're called the Lost Boys, aren't they? Where they go to Pleasure Island and Pinocchio's there and they're, they're all um, smoking and drinking and playing pool and, and they have no responsibility. All they're doing is just, just gratifying themselves with, with fooling around. Mm. But there's a price to pay for that. They turn into brain donkeys and they're enslaved and shipped off to, to mm. a salt miner or something to that effect. Essentially, they're enslaved by, by the hedonism trap. So mm. it's really about making sure that we go beyond that, that we put our thoughts higher than those feelings and the desire for sens- sensory pleasure. And it's not easy and it, it does involve, it involves work. There's, there's no big bang, there's no quick fix. But with the mentoring work that I do with people, a lot of it is focused on, on habit change, changing habits, mm-hmm. being aware of what, what habits we have in our lives, what our values are. And values not just in terms of standards like stewardship and things like that, but values in terms of what do you actually value? What is actually important to you? And really taking the shackles off and saying, what do you want your contribution to be in an ideal world? Yeah. What contribution do you want to make? And it is exciting stuff. I talk to people about this all the time. I was speaking with somebody about it this evening and telling them that they can dare to dream. Yeah. Dare to dream. When, when I got the, the TEDx in, in Boston, I wouldn't have necessarily have shot for that at, at one stage of my life. I wouldn't yeah. have thought of, of having a crack at doing a TEDx at all, let alone in Boston and yet I had the aspiration I had the dream I set the goal and then I did the work and I got the gig albeit that it hasn't happened yet but it will happen and and this is this is the power of raising our thoughts above expediency and what it is that we feel like doing in the moment or what has to happen in the moment because very often these things don't have to happen yeah, so so true. And and when I was overcoming my fear of, of public speaking several years ago, very much a similar thing. I, I never thought of shooting for anything. I just thought I've got a fear in my life. I need to overcome it. I need to be able to communicate for a job and, and to be able to have a fulfilling life. Mm-hmm. And gradually down the years, as I've got better at it and competed with it and won awards with it, I've suddenly gone, now who can I serve? Who out there like me struggles with public speaking? Who out there struggles to tell their story, to communicate their message? Who can I now serve to, to help them to, to become confident and to get that, that message across and communicate those values better? Mm-hmm. And, and without even realizing it, I'm suddenly now at a point where I'm doing an awful lot of work with people that I love and I enjoy and I never would have predicted, but I've never been in it for the, the, the pleasure of it or the ego of it. I've been in it for, I've had a fear, someone else has a fear. Well, I can help them because I've, I've done it. Yeah, and and yeah. all of a sudden you're living a life of meaning just through trying to serve. And, and I think that's such a, a, a great place we've got to. What a privilege that's been. I've been able to, to get some of your understanding of your, the things you do with your TEDx talk, but, but so much of the work that's driven around this idea of value stewardship and, and the su- success that's sustainable because people care for themselves first, yeah. then their relationships and, and then the contribution that they make. Now, if we've got leaders listening to this and they might well be saying, I need a chat with Tom English, I need his help, and, and I don't see why they wouldn't be saying that having listened to this conversation because I think there's so much you can offer. How do people get in touch with you apart from waiting for the book and the TEDx? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, and, and that, that's a goal that hasn't been set in stone, so I can't give any guarantees on, on when that will be released. But but in the meantime, certainly it's it's pretty easy to get in touch with me. I'm... I'm on social media. I'm on LinkedIn. So I'm um, forward slash English Tom on LinkedIn. So mm-hmm. after the, the standard LinkedIn URL, I'm forward slash English Tom on there. And you can also get to my website, which is three stewardships.com. So it's three, the numerical character, stewardships.com. Or there's another way of getting there as well, which is englishtom.com which was my previous branding. So there's a couple of ways of getting there. I'm, I'm not too difficult to find. So if anybody's interested, then, then by all means, check me out on the website, shoot me a line on there or find me on LinkedIn. 
Right. I always love it when it rhymes. I, I, I tried to get simonday.co.uk, but it wouldn't have it because somebody else already had it. So I had that Simon Speaks, but englishtom.com, you're not going to forget it, are you? So. No, you're not. But but I've, I've discarded it now because it's... Um, and I think this is part of the refinement process as well as, as we as we get these ideas about who we can serve and and what it is that we're really talking about we, we get much clearer much more refined so so I, I to start with I was talking quite broadly about values and then I realized well well which values are we talking about and really got focused on that and now I'm very very focused on stewardship because mm-hmm. to me personally as, as I see it, my my thesis is that that stewardship is the ultimate value, the superordinate value, if you like, for sustainable success because it encapsulates integrity, self-governance, empathy, love, care, you name it. It encapsulates so many great things. So if you're looking for one value to encapsulate sustainable success, then then stewardship's the one that I'd go for. Mm. What a joy. I'm going to have to watch this again and make some notes because just things have made so much more sense to me as, as we've discussed this and, and I need to write it down and, and come up with some points of my own but but what a joy thank you so much for, for giving up your time and my pleasure. sharing so selflessly what, what the things that haven't even been released yet so you know what, what, a, what a pleasure but uh, I, I hope we can do this again sometime and, and learn some more because I think there's, there's an awful lot that I can keep learning from you but for the meantime thank you very much for giving up your time and I wish you all the best with the TEDx talk and the book when it finally comes out my pleasure thank you Simon thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Simon Speaks a public speaking podcast with me your host Simon Day I hope that what you've learned in today's episode will help you become a more effective communicator as you put it into practice you can visit my website simonspeaks.co.uk for more information tips articles and resources or to speak to me about working with me as a coach. I'm also available on Twitter and Instagram at underscore Simon Speaks. I'm on LinkedIn and I also have a YouTube channel. Just search for Simon Speaks. Thanks again for tuning in today and I look forward to seeing you again next time.